number 6, and I want to direct your attention to verse number 9 and read a short portion of Scripture and get into the message. So, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse 9, the Bible reads, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, I really want to focus tonight on verse number 12 and the idea of all things being lawful, but not all things being expedient. And, you know, there are some things in the Christian life and in the Bible that you might have a hard time declaring doing this certain thing a sin, but that doesn't mean that you should do it. You know, we shouldn't try to get as close to the line of sin as we possibly should, just for the sake of, well, it's not technically a sin. You know, not every single thing that you do in life, uh, you, ne- you don't really need to have a direct answer of basically how close you can get to the world, how close you can get to sin without technically committing a sin. Our idea should basically just be to be as far away from it and ultimately just to serve Lord and do it with all our heart, do it with you know, the idea that we want to be as close to God as possible and as far away from sin as possible. Not how close can I get to the world, how close can I get to sin before I'm actually committing the sin. Now, to give you kind of an example of this, you know, this Saturday, I'm driving out to Chicago and doing a soul winning event out there. Now, when you go into the GPS or you go into Google Maps, you know, say that I'm starting from right here at the church. Now, when you, shoot, when you put the two different locations in and say that you want to start going there, there's usually not just one route that pops up. Usually you'll have multiple routes that you can choose from based on a couple of different uh, options. So you can choose based on the fastest route. You can choose based on the best gas mileage. And you can choose based on avoiding the toll roads. Those are usually the three that you'll see. And so... Sometimes these things will overlap. So in the example that I'm talking about now, from here to where we're meeting in Chicago on Saturday, the fastest route is two hours. It's just on 88 pretty much the whole time. And then you get off of there. It's about two hours. It's got toll roads. So say that I want to avoid the tolls and be more fuel efficient. I can take Route 30, which will eventually run into 290, and then take me to where I'm trying to get. I avoid the toll roads, and according to Google Maps, that's also the best gas mileage. Now, it's not wrong for me to choose either one of these. You know, both of the routes are going to take me to where I'm trying to go, but if I'm trying to get there in the fastest time, it wouldn't make sense for me to go on the one that takes me 50 miles longer, not 50 miles, 50 minutes longer just to save on the gas or save on the toll roads. If, if my goal is speed, then it would make sense to go on the fastest route. But 
if my goal is trying to get there without paying any tolls and saving as much money on gas as I can, then it would make sense to, you know, take the one that's going to take me like 50 minutes more. Now, me personally, I'd rather just pay the tolls. I don't want to drive in the car for an extra 50 minutes, um, especially with two little kids. You know, so in Christ and in our Christian life, we have liberty. We have liberty to make decisions. We have liberty to uh, do the different things that we want to. And a lot of people, you know, today have the mentality of wanting to take advantage of liberty. And because I'm saved, because I'm eternally secure, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm not going to be sent to hell for my sins. And, you know, honestly, that's true. You're not going to be sent to hell for your sins, but that's a really bad attitude. And, you know, we should have the mentality to be as close to God as we want to, to not uh, veer off from any of these things and just be close to the Lord. And, And when I say close to the Lord, I mean not trying to look at different sins in the Bible and wonder how close we can get to those sins before we cross over into the path of sin. And I've got a couple different examples that I want to look at tonight. And so the first one is actually right here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 in the sin of fornication. And basically what the Bible teaches that we're going to see in these next few verses is that we're not just to not commit fornication, we're to flee fornication. Stay as far away from it as we possibly can. Not ride the boundary and get as close as possible to it and then just say, well, I didn't commit fornication, so I'm still not committing sin. No, we don't want to get close to it at all. So look in verse number 13 where we left off reading and see what this says. It says, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price... Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So in this passage, we basically just have him outlining fornication and talking about fornication, how it's bad, how we need to flee from it, how we don't need to be near it at all. And specifically, the reason he's bringing it up is because from the context that you get in this passage in the very next verse in chapter seven is that this church actually wrote to him for him to address this matter. Because if you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're not going to tonight, but there was a person that was committing a horrible sin and fornication was that sin that he committed. And they're basically wondering, how do I deal with this? What do we do? He explains that in chapter 5. And then the thing is, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so now he's trying to deal with it and basically explain, hey, let's not let this happen again. Let's try to get rid of this entirely. And then you have 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1. And notice what the Bible says here. It says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now right here, this says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Here's the question. Is 
physically touching someone of the opposite gender a sin? I don't believe that it is, but this is what I believe. It's good not to do that. You know, and he is going on here and explaining a lot of things. And you say, okay, well, what are all the exceptions? You know, what if they're your family member? You know, okay, well, you know, honestly, that might sound like a dumb question, but 1 Corinthians 5, this guy had his father's wife. You know, so, I mean, they were related. It's a pretty horrible sin when you think about all of it that's going on there. But so this is, you know, it's, we're looking for exceptions here. I, I'm not up here saying you can't touch your own family members or anything like that, but just take these things into consideration and defining whether it's a sin or not. What if you're at a funeral and it's a, a woman whose husband just died and usually after a funeral you'll be dismissed, you'll go view the body one more time, give your condolences to the loved one. You know, if there's some grieving widow there crying her eyes out and just looking for hugs from whoever or whatever, I don't think that you'd be in sin if you gave the woman a hug to try to comfort her. You know, what if you're in a really busy area, you're out in the city or at some event, maybe a 4th of July event, and uh, you accidentally bump into somebody? Did you just commit the sin of touching a woman, you know? And, and you know, the thing is, the act of touching someone isn't a sin, and that's not what Paul was teaching here, but in the scope of fleeing fornication and avoiding fornication, you're not going to commit fornication if you're not touching them. You know, if you guys aren't touching one another, you're going to avoid it. That's why in the very next verse, he says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Is it a sin not to be married? No, it's not a sin not to be married. But if you're trying to avoid fornication and you have a strong desire to touch somebody of the opposite sex, get married. You know, and these are just all things that have to do with avoiding fornication. It's not a sin to not do either the idea written in verse 1 about it's good not to touch, and it's not a sin not to get married. But here's the thing. If you have those desires, and you're just saying that you're going to disregard these two things, you might technically be right that you're not going to commit a sin if you're just not going to commit fornication, but you're not putting yourself in a position to have success. And yes, you have the liberty to say that you're going to not take heed to these commandments. Yes, you might possibly be able to do it without committing sin, but why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in a vulnerable position, especially in today's society? You know, our society glorifies fornication and glorifies every single thing in that scope like nothing else. I mean, driving down the road, on billboards... Any TV show that you could possibly watch, there's fornication in there. And you know what? If you've seen any of that stuff, just as a whole in a society, we're desensitized to it. And how bad the Bible talks about it, how bad God's opinion of it is, just living in America, if you're honest with yourself, your opinion of it is probably not as strong as God's. Just because it's so around us, you're so desensitized to it, but it's bad. And just because America thinks that it's not that big of a deal doesn't mean that we just get to throw our hands up and say that it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It's something that we should take heed to. And if we want to be serious about it, it's probably a good idea to have the standard not to touch somebody of the opposite gender. It's probably a good idea, if you're not married, to try to get married, you know, and do everything you can in that area to flee fornication and stay as far away from it as possible. Now, the other one, and go to Proverbs chapter number 20. This is probably what I'm going to spend the most time on tonight, and it's the subject of drinking alcohol. 
And before I get into all the different scriptures that I'm going to go to, I want to preface by saying I do not believe that we should ever drink alcohol. I don't believe that it's something that we should um, have. I don't believe it's something. I don't think we should participate in, you know, casual drinking or play this game where it's like we can drink just until we're about to get drunk and then stop drinking. I don't think we should play those games, but I do want to look into the arguments that people have into saying why drinking alcohol but not getting drunk is fine. And I just want to, you know, go through some different scriptures with it. And I'm going to go to some scriptures and you might get a little uncomfortable for a second, but, you know, I'm going to bring it all back together in the end. So I gave that preface so you don't stand up and walk out in the middle of the sermon. But in Proverbs chapter number 20 and verse number 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So number one, you know, this is something that has taken captive the lives of so many people. It's not something that a wise person is really going to want to take part in. You know, whenever I see people that are just kind of glorifying alcohol, talking about it like it's not that big of a deal, talking about it like we should all just casually drink and we should all be together and drink and we have fellowship, we should drink and it's necessary to be happy or whatever else, I just look at you as a foolish person, okay? I don't think that you are uh, really taking heed to all the different warnings that the Bible gives. I don't think you're... Uh, looking into it, but I do want to spend some time on what I'll later explain to believe I think is a foolish question, but it's one that so many people have today, and is it, is drinking alcohol but not getting drunk a sin, or something that the Bible strictly forbids? Now go to Proverbs chapter number 23, and look at another passage where we see uh, some of the different, another part of alcohol and what it does to you. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 29 says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon it, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, and thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again." Now, just as you read through that, does that sound like a pleasant experience or something that you want in your life? You know, as you're reading the consequences of alcohol and seeing what happens when you get really drunk and you just can't think about it anymore, uh, you lose control of yourself, all these different things, I don't think that it is wise to take part in that, and I don't think that any Christians should do it. But the question, how much can I drink before it's a sin? Am I allowed to drink at all before it turns into a sin? And one passage that I've always thought about with this is Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. And you don't have to turn there, but it says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, 
when you are thinking about somebody that's an alcoholic, say I'm these people that are waking up in the morning and they're having alcohol for breakfast, alcohol for lunch, alcohol for the evening, you know, people that it's just an actual problem. They're drunk all the time. Their trash is filled with beer. And if that person were to get off of alcohol and they weren't going to drink it anymore, and then you basically were to see them like a year later just casually drinking, you know, would you in today consider that person sober? If they were, if they were a horrible alcoholic and anything that you'll ever read about alcoholics and you'll, you know, see the different psychology between them, uh, you know, I don't really know that much about anonymous alcoholics, but they help people stop drinking. So I guess I don't have that big of a problem with them, you know, but they talk about this idea that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And that basically when you start drinking this stuff, you start abusing it, you're getting really drunk all the time, it's, an, it's never a good idea to pick it up again and touch it. It's not something that you should get involved in. So personally, if I saw somebody who was, you know, a former alcoholic, and then I see them at the bar just having one beer, and I would look at that and I would think, you're not sober anymore. You know, if they tried to come the next day and say, I have been a year without drinking, or, and they considered it getting drunk, but then I just saw you the other day with a beer, I would have a hard time believing that you were sober for that time. Now listen, one of the things that uh, we've talked about over the past you know, couple years, and something that's gotten brought up a lot, is this idea that just because the definitions of words change over time, doesn't mean that the Bible's meaning of those words changes. So I've always used that passage as an example of talking about how being sober is just alcohol, period. We can't have any of it. Well, I was really curious, and so I went back to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And if you're ever curious about a definition of a word in your Bible, the Webster's 1828 is a good place to look for that. And I was pretty surprised at the first two definitions. So the definition of sober, according to that dictionary is temperate in the use of spirituous liquors, habitually temperate as a sober man, live a sober, righteous, and godly life. The second one is not intoxicated or overpowered by spirituous liquors, not drunken. The sot may at times be sober. And I was thinking about that, and according to that first definition, it almost sounds like they're saying moderately use liquor basically not getting drunk and then the second part of it talks about not getting intoxicated or overpowered by spiritual liquors you know so do we need to replace the grape juice that we use for communion and start drinking wine and alcoholic beverages and all these other things i don't think that for one second but i do want to be completely honest in the argument in first timothy chapter number five you can turn over there if you want but hold your place in proverbs because we're going to come back there in just a second first timothy chapter number five one of the qualifications of a bishop that was mentioned in First uh, Timothy chapter three was not given so much wine, and then in First Timothy chapter five, uh, Paul brings up about when he's sick, and he says, "Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmity." So basically saying. If you're sick, if there's some kind of problem with you, like your stomach's bothering you, to drink a little wine, and then it'll help it feel better. 
And, you know, you could debate whether this is grape juice or whether this is a light alcoholic beverage. I don't really know. But, you know, I think that you could make the argument that it is. Now, that being said, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that I think that you could hypothetically say that alcohol touching your tongue is not committing a sin, but why would you do that in today's society? And I'm going to give you a couple of distinctions between then and today. Now, another example that I was thinking of when it comes to this and using alcohol for some kind of medicinal purpose is when you read stories about, you know, war and about on a battlefield and some guy gets shot in the leg and he's going to bleed out and die if there's, they don't amputate it or whatever, they don't just come on to him and just saw the thing off. They would get him really drunk so that he wouldn't feel anything. I mean, what we just read in Proverbs chapter number 23, in verse 35, the last verse says, They have stricken me, and thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. And so there's a numbness that comes from getting really drunk, and, you know, when you think about it in a medicinal purpose and trying to perform a surgery on somebody, you don't really want to feel them cutting out your insides. So you could say that, you know, that would be reasonable. And, you know, I wouldn't look at a guy that's about to get his leg sawed off and just doesn't want to feel it. And so they give him alcohol so he doesn't feel it and say that he's committing a sin by doing that. I think that there's a legitimate purpose. Now, that being said, the guy that's just drinking for fun and doing whatever, you know, I think there's a problem with that. Now, here's the difference between that kind of a time era and the time era that we live today. So if you're going to go and get some kind of a surgery, you know, where they're going to give you anesthesia, put you to sleep, and then they're going to numb you so that you don't feel it, do they just give you a big swig of whiskey or do they actually have medicine that specifically numbs you? You know, so why today would you need to have alcohol for that effect when we have a better option, you know, one that you're not getting drunk, one that actually works better than the, you know, idea of alcohol and just numbing, because you're still going to feel something. But if we have a specific medicine that's meant for that, how about the other issue of saying that you're a little sick, so you need a bit of an alcoholic beverage to kind of weighten it down? Or if you just get tired of drinking water all the time, after church, Go across the street to Casey's and look at the hundreds, in that little gas station, hundreds of different types of drinks that you can get. You know, it, you're, if you're bored of water, you don't have to drink beer. There are so many other options for you to drink. You know, you could drink a soda if you wanted to. You could drink, you know, milk, coffee, an energy drink, any one of these things. You could drink flavored water. If you just want to drink water, but you just need some flavor to it, you can drink flavored water. They make sparkling water. They, I mean, in today's society, we do not have a shortage of drinks. So if you're sick of water, why would you turn to a drink that has the opportunity to get you intoxicated and put you in a situation like Proverbs chapter number 23 here? You know, it, it doesn't make sense. And when I see people just begging for the opportunity to drink alcohol and begging for this idea that I can just drink up until the point that I'm almost drunk and then it's okay. And it's like, you know, I can't, I guess, say that alcohol touching your tongue is an absolute sin 100% of the time. But why would you want to get so close to that line? Why would you have such a strong desire to get that close to the line of sin and then cross over and being drunk? Because here's the thing that's also not completely 100% defined in the Bible is what God considers drunk. 
So, you know, another thing that I've heard people talking about when it comes to this subject is whether, you know, like the purpose of drinking alcohol is that it brings you joy and all these other things. And it's like, do you realize what that means? That you're drunk. You know, when you're drinking that beverage and then it gives you different emotions and things like that, you are literally by definition under the influence of that beverage. So the thing that you're talking about trying to, you know, stay away from it, it's not, you know, something that you should be interested in for getting a buzz off of it. You know, when you're telling me that you're buzzed, I'm going to consider you drunk. If I'm out with you and you drove me somewhere and you got a beer and then you're telling me that you feel buzzed, I'm not letting you drive the car afterwards to take me back home. I'm going to consider you drunk. And, you know, I, you know, what I consider that is being under the influence of something. And, you know, a common theme that you find throughout the Bible is that God doesn't want us under the influence of anything other than him. And so when we're interfering with the Holy Spirit and not allowing, you know, coming under the influence of something else, not giving ourselves a clear communication through God, then I think that we are sinning there. And that is, by definition, sinning according to the Bible and drunkenness. And so it's like, hypothetically, if a drop of alcohol gets on your tongue, you might not be committing sin. But why do you have such a strong desire to play that close to the line of sin? Why don't you just have it in your heart to be as close to the Lord as possible. Now, one more passage I want to take you to, actually two. Go to Proverbs chapter number 31 and feel with your fingers and get to Revelation chapter 1 on the back. And we're going to turn to that in just a second. Proverbs chapter number 31 and verse number 4, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So here we have a direct command that it's not for kings. It's not for princes to do any of these things. And then go to Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation chapter number 1 in verse 4, this is basically the introduction John giving. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Notice, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We are kings in the eyes of God. We just read, before I started preaching, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, that we don't need to take our brothers to law because we should be capable in the church of judging matters ourselves. So it's a pretty good rule of thumb to say, if we're kings, we have the you know, duty as a church, as Christians, to judge righteous judgment around us in the church, in the world, not to drink. Not to be under the influence of anything that's going to pervert that judgment. That's specifically what it says here. You know who alcohol is for? The lowest of society. You know who needs it? People that contribute nothing to society at all. They just kind of drink their sorrows away. They don't feel like, you know, experiencing the world around them. So they need to be intoxicated so they think about something else. We are on a higher value than that. You are a king, you are a high priest, you have no reason to have any fellowship with the low end of society like that. 
If you want to go to the low end of society, it's there to reach them for Christ and pull them out of the low scum of society that's trapped by all the different devices that Satan uses to keep them there. But we have no business as Christians, as kings, and as high priests going in and getting as close as we can to alcohol and getting close to uh, the line of sin. And, you know, at the end of the day, the question doesn't need to be, is it a sin to drink a small amount of alcohol? Or how much alcohol can I drink before I get drunk? The question that you need to be asking yourself is, how will drinking alcohol benefit my life for the Lord at all? And if the answer is it won't, then you don't have any reason to be drinking it. First Corinthians chapter number six, where we started, it says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Say, I have Christian liberty. I can do what I want. Yeah, but you're not your own. You are bought with a price. And yes, technically, you don't have to serve God with your life. You don't have to serve God with your body. But you're really spitting in the face of the one that came and freely died on the cross for you, freely gave you all things. And all he asks is to bear a very light burden in living a righteous life. Your life will be better the less alcohol that you drink. Your life will be better the more that you serve God and the more that you depend on God. Your body is not your own. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You, as a Christian, are held to a much higher standard than all the rest of the people in the world that can do whatever they want. They are their own. They are not bought with a price. But there is a very bad consequence to not being bought with a price. And I would much rather not be my own and be under Jesus Christ than living out on our own. And when you're thinking to yourself, you know, would bringing alcohol into my life help me at all? Would it help me draw closer to God? Would it... uh, push out the fruits of the Spirit more in my life, would it do any of these things? Well, think about Galatians chapter number 5 and think about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And then Proverbs chapter number 23, when we think about the things that happen with alcohol, it says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself right. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Is anything in that passage, I mean just one word, relate to the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? Nothing does. When you read uh, Proverbs chapter number 23, and you think about alcohol, and you think about alcoholics that you see in the world, whether it just be some guy on TV or the guy that's waking up in the morning and his whole purpose in life is getting drunk and drinking alcohol. Do those people exemplify the spirit at all? No. How about the Christians that drink alcohol? Do any of them look like anything that you want to be, honestly? The, you know, reformed, puffed up in the head, theologians, usually Calvinists, they do nothing for the cause of Christ. They do nothing to reach other people. They sit in their, you know, study rooms with like a million theology books behind them 
and they just sit at their desk reading theology books all day long, doing nothing to contribute for the cause of Christ whatsoever. You know, I saw some guy uh, share a video the other day, and it was just like the most classic Calvinist background I have ever seen in my life. It's this guy, he's, he's bald, he's probably like 50 years old, sitting at his desk recording from a low-quality webcam, and it's just, you can see in the back of him, there was probably 500 to 1,000 theology books. And then on the top of the bookcase was like 50 bottles of liquor. And I'm just like, this is these people. You know, and it's like, I look at that, and it's, I don't want any part to do with that. I don't look at that as exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit. I don't look at that as somebody that's useful in any way, shape, or form to the cause of Christ. That guy sits in his office, drinks the liquor, and reads the Bible. And that explains how they come to the conclusions that they do on all the wild doctrine that they come up with. It's, you don't, honestly, it's nothing that we should want to do. We shouldn't want to have any part of it. You know, but then another thing uh, that, you know, you can talk about, and I don't necessarily have a passage written down for it, it's just kind of popping in my mind. Think about screen time throughout the week. And you say, where does the Bible say that I can't spend eight hours a day on my phone? Well, you know, technically it doesn't. But is it helping you in your life at all to spend eight hours a day on your phone? Does it help you to sit in front of a TV and watch TV? Does it help you to sit on social media and just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll? Say, well, sometimes I'm on social media and I'll see something funny and it'll make me laugh. That's joy, you know, fruit of the Spirit. No, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's you just brain dead. I mean, literally, you'll see people. Go the next time you're in a busy area and just look at the people that just walk around and it's just drones, just staring at their phones. You can't talk to them. I mean, I, we've probably all, us drivers in here, almost ran somebody over with our car, walking into the middle of the street in the crosswalk, not paying attention, just staring at their phones all day. And it's like if you tried to take the phone away from them, they just go nuts. I mean, seriously, like I'll... I remember being at school back when I was still in high school, and it was just like watching people, you know, on the first day of school after they had a whole entire summer off and did nothing with their entire summer other than sit on the couch with their phone or walk down the street. You know, some of them would leave, but they would still just be on their phone the whole time. And then it was like to hear a teacher basically read off the rules uh, while I'm giving instructions, I don't want you playing on your phone, and just look at them like they just had their whole world ended. It's like, it doesn't help. You don't need it at that point in time. And it's like, well, you're just preaching opinions tonight. No, how does it help you grow closer to God? Don't get this attitude of just, well, technically, according to the Bible, it's not a sin, but it's not helping you either. And you should have more of an attitude and more in your heart of just wondering, how can I draw closer to God? And I promise you, your phone, scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through social media, all day, every day, will not help you grow closer to God. It will not. I don't care who you're friends with on there. I don't care who you're following or whatever. It is not helpful. And it's just, you know, especially like the different forms of social media that are coming out today. And it's like, I don't want to be up here and just sound like some, you know, out-of-touch boomer that doesn't know anything and is an idiot. But, you know... TikTok just aggravates the fire out of me. I'm sorry. And, and here's the thing with TikTok that I don't like, and that is just, you know, kind of a natural thing. 
people's attention spans are so low today. I mean, it's like we're literally walking goldfish in our society today. We have no ability to pay attention to anything for any length of time because we're just sitting on our phones and scrolling through. And basically, it's like over time, you know, it's like I've noticed this, especially just with like the stuff that I'll do on YouTube and posting different videos. And it's like even YouTube now, you can't watch like a full length YouTube video. You have to make shorts for people as they're scrolling down through. And it's just like a long screen video. And it's just they'll scroll through. And it's like max, it's like a 10 minute video. Or not 10 minute. I'm sorry. That's way too long for people today. Like one minute long video. And it's just like what happens is, is basically people, and especially my generation, it's like they don't have the patience or the ability to sit and watch a long instructional video on anything to figure anything out. And so they just like scroll through TikTok and basically find something. And I'll be honest, I'm even like this myself. You know, if I'm working on a project at home or I'm trying to build something and I'll go to YouTube and just try to find a video instructing me on what to do. I'm not scrolling through, honestly, and I'm preaching against myself right now. I'm not scrolling through looking for the best quality video to teach me to get the job done. I'm literally looking at nothing but how long the video is because I just want to watch it as fast as I can and get done with it. And, you know, people today have such a low attention span. I mean, even if you were to go and just look at, like, our YouTube channel, and look at the different videos. Like there's videos that Pastor Murchard and I made together where he's just sitting down and being recorded. And it's like the funny thing is, these aren't they don't have enough information sometimes to be contained in a full sermon. But people are basically listening to him talk, which is about the same as what he's doing up here. But they get hundreds more views because they're like five to ten minutes long. You know, but a full length sermon good night. You think someone's going to sit there and listen to it? And you can even go on to the analytics of the YouTube channel and you can hear it and what well, you can see like average view length of a sermon. And it's like you'll go to and look at a video that's like an hour long sermon and it, it'll say like 400 views or something. And it's like, great, 400 people watch this. But then you look at like average viewer length, it's like five minutes, <laughs> you know. And it's like basically people will just pop in, and literally, this is what people do. They'll see a title of a sermon. You know, the title of the sermon tonight, Not All Things Are Expedient. And they're like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And they'll just tune in for a second, hear whatever section the live stream's at, or they'll go back and just hear the beginning of the sermon, and then they'll get bored after like five minutes. You know, or it's like they're watching TV, and a commercial comes on, so they have to pull their phone out so they're still entertained. They'll see the sermon pop up, and then by the time the show comes back on, okay, turn the sermon off and start watching TV again. You know, and it, it's like, you know, so many people, even just notice it. You know, I do this sometimes too. But, you know, just, it's like, how many screens does it take to keep a person occupied? And it's like, you'll sit down, you'll be watching a show on TV, but then you also have to have your phone in your hand, Sometimes you're like playing a game and it's just constant entertainment and pleasure. It's not good. Okay. You know what, you know, part of the Christian life is, I know I just took shots at like the Calvinists that sit in their offices all day and don't do anything, but just read theology books. It's deep study of the word of God. 
And you know, when you're just sitting and basically your attention span is that of a goldfish, you have no ability to look at anything for an extended period of time. You don't know how to read. You don't know how to do any of these things. And then you're supposed to study the Bible. How in the world are you going to do that? How will you have the patience to do that? And you know, people today have no ability to read any books. They have no ability to do anything. I mean, honestly, if we were to say, you know, if somehow I had like a billion dollars and I could pay to have a Hollywood movie made of basically videos, but like narration of the King James Bible behind a video of it being acted out or something, it will get so many views. And it's like even you can go and look on you know, just places on YouTube that has audio Bibles, and it's like millions of views per thing. But it's like how many people are honestly able today without an audio Bible to pick their Bible up, sit down in a quiet place, and read it for just 15 minutes? You know, 15 minutes. Not very many people are because their attention spans are so low because of social media and all the different tools that social media is using. And look, I use social media. I think that it can be beneficial. But when you go home tonight, take out your phone and go into your settings. Or, you know, if you have an iPhone or you have an Android, there is something on there that keeps track of your screen time, okay? And go on there and look how much screen time you used on your phone today. And I'm guessing most people, it's going to be hours upon hours. That's not good, okay? You can't just sit there and stare at a phone all day. We need to be able to communicate to people. You know, we need to be able to form conversations with people. We need to be able to have longer attention spans to study the Bible and do all these other things. Say, nothing you're saying is from the Bible. You know what? Do you really think that you're drawing closer to God spending eight hours a day on your phone and scrolling through social media? You know, you're not, okay? There's no way that you can justify that. There's no way that you can make sense of that. You know, maybe you think that I'm just up here a boomer. I'm 22 years old. I'm not a boomer. You know, these are just observations that I can make and see and look at our society and say, it's not good. You know, maybe it's not a sin to touch a woman. Maybe it's not a sin to do any of these different things that we talked about. Maybe it's not a sin to have a drop of alcohol touch your tongue. Maybe it's not a sin to spend all day scrolling on social media. But you know what? It's not good. And you know what? Quit getting the attitude of just wanting to be able to get as close to the line of sin as you can. Or not just the line of sin, but how about another category? Vanity. You know what spending eight hours a day on your phone is? Vanity. It's not helping anything. You're not doing anything. Vanity is just a waste of time. And you know what? If you on Judgment Day want to have your works tried and have them all just be wood, stubble, and hay and burn up in the fire with nothing to remain, then by all means, do that. But why would you do that? Why would you not want to obtain a better resurrection? Why would you not want to have rewards when you get to heaven? And so, for Christ, why would you not want to do work for the Lord in your life? You've been given so much freely. You've been made a king. You've been made a high priest. But you want to spend all your days just scrolling through social media, acting no different than another person in the world today. You know, people talk about worldliness, and they talk about it from the aspect of dress and music style and all these different things. How many people are worldly in the sense of just their use of technology and the overuse of technology? You know, you might dress right, you might listen to the right music, but you're no different than the rest of the world because you're just glued to your phone, glued to social media. It's not good. No, it's not a sin. I'm not up here saying that TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media you want to think of, that any of them are sins. I'm just saying it's not good. 
It's not good to be on that all day. Limit, you know, if you want to have it, fine. Limit yourself. You can literally, if you're not capable of it, you can put timers on your apps, on your phone, that after you've used it for like 30 minutes or an hour or whatever you want to use it for that day, that it will disable and you won't be able to use it. And if you need help with that or you need accountability, come to me and I'll set up a secret password on your phone so that when it comes out, you can't go back and shut it off in administrator settings or whatever. You know, it's not something that we need to do. And, you know, no, I'm not saying you have to do any things to avoid sin. I'm just saying, why don't you try to just live closer to life? And go to Romans chapter number 12 and we'll start to close it down. But, yes, none of the things, you know, that I brought up tonight, I believe are sins, but you don't need to just have the attitude that if it's not a sin, I can get as close to sin as possible, still be right with God. That's just a bad attitude. In Romans chapter number 12 and verses 1 and 12, this is one of my favorite portions of scripture. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Notice, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. Whenever you look at the burdens that Jesus Christ asks you to bear, they're not heavy. He's done the majority of the work. He's the one that came down, died on the cross, fulfilled all the prophecies, was buried, rose again from the grave, ascended up into heaven. He did all of that. You know what he just asks you to do? Present your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to the world. And you know what he calls it? Reasonable service. This is not crazy stuff. You know, just the three different examples that I talked about tonight. Don't drink alcohol. Don't commit fornication. Don't touch other women. Get married if you need to. You know, don't spend eight hours a day on social media and on your phone. These are not grievous. You know, sometimes you can just get so stuck and so used to sin and things in the world that it becomes hard to get off. But you know what? Don't have the attitude of just wanting to do the bare minimum that you have to do. You know, just because you can't be threatened with hell doesn't mean that you should just sin freely and live a careless life. You should care. You should wake up every day and want to serve God with your day. You should wake up every day and want to grow closer to the Lord. Why? It's reasonable. He gave you everything. Without Christ, you are nothing. None of us are anything. We would be dead and on our way to hell. You know, Jesus didn't have to come to this earth and die on the cross and pay for your sins, but he did because he loved you. And you know what? We love him because he first loved us. We should as our reasonable service, as something that's just the right thing to do, present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These are all things that we should be focusing on on a regular basis. And don't just try to read through the Bible and come up with a list of sins that you should or shouldn't commit. Well, not should or shouldn't. You should never commit sins. But don't read through the Bible and just look at what can I technically get away with? How worldly can I be before I'm worldly according to the Bible? Look, read your Bible with the attitude of how close can I draw to the Lord? And the things of this earth will just naturally fade away. You know, the, you know, honestly, if you're close to God, I don't really think you're going to spend eight hours a day scrolling through social media. I just don't. Because you're going to have to find some time to read your Bible in there. And if you're working a normal job and you're working eight hours a day and you're getting eight hours of sleep at night and all the eight hours in between are you on social media, 
plus the time that you're at work and you got to eat and take bathroom breaks. But no one gets off their phone when they go to the bathroom. They just sit on the toilet and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. It's just, people are just zombies today, you know. And look, put it down. Just one, just one day. You know, here's a commandment of men that I'm teaching for doctrine, but throw me out of the church for being a Pharisee after the sermon, whatever. Just one day, just try not to use your phone at all. Just one day and just see how it goes. And you know what? That'll tell you how addicted you are to your phone. And I'm not saying that you're just a horrible, rotten person if you are, but just sometime when you have the chance, you don't have any obligations or people that you really need to talk to that day or anything, just put your phone in a drawer at the beginning of the day and then get it the next day. And just see how you do. Because, you know, it will do you a lot better. And it might be rough if you're really just attached to it and you need it at first. But, you know, the longer that you go and just what it's going to do for you mentally to just get off of that thing is a lot better than what it's doing for you now and just your constant need for pleasure, your constant need to be entertained. It's not good. I'm not saying that it's a sin. I'm saying it's not good. I'm not saying any of the things that I brought up tonight are necessarily a point-blank sin. I'm just saying it's not good. And, you know, you shouldn't just want to not do things or to do things because it's a sin or it's not a sin. You shouldn't want to go soul winning because you think it would be a sin not to do that. You should want to go soul winning because you love God and you want to get people saved. You know, you shouldn't turn from the sins in your life because you don't want to be, you know, punished. You should turn from the sins in your life because you love God, because you love people around you. Love is the center of everything. The more that you love, the more that you love God, the more that you love your neighbor, all these things will just naturally be our focus. Our focus needs to be on the things of God, not the things of this world. We don't need to try to get as close to the line of sin as we possibly can. We need to be focused on the things of God. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Just because we have the ability to do something doesn't mean that we should and think on these things. And these are just three examples, but you can apply this to anything in your life. Not all things are expedient. Just because you have the ability to sit and watch TV all day doesn't mean that you should. Just because you have the ability to, I don't know, drive recklessly in your car doesn't mean that you should. You know, it's, is it technically illegal if there's no police around and you don't get caught and thrown in jail? It's not on your record. Yeah, but it, it's not expedient. You know, just stop. Just be a normal person. You know, be, be somebody that is wholly acceptable in the eyes of God. That should be all of our ideas. That should be what we're striving for as Christians. And if we keep these things in mind, I think we'll be a lot happier in life and we'll have a lot more successful Christian life, which is what should be all of our goals. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. So, Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. I thank you for showing us these things clearly, Lord. I hope that everybody in the world understands that you love them. You don't want uh, us to bear grievous burdens, but you just wanted to do these things uh, to give us a better life, Lord. Just help us to seek after you and live a life that's ultimately pleasing to you. And in Jesus' name, amen.